You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I'm so glad you're here. And I know I say that every time, but I really am glad you're here. This conversation is transformational and in such the divine right time for me, as many of our guests are. And I imagine for you too, if you're listening. So here's our the question we're going to kick off our show with, as we often do. What is your relationship with nature? And and whenever I like think about that, I always think I think of my mom. As many of you know, my mom passed away or transitioned, whatever the fuck you want to call it, <laughs> died. Yeah, is in the non-physical now. And that happened in May of 2022. And she loved nature. She loved nature and really got fed from nature and the ocean. And she was really connected to that about herself. I know that being outside and being nature is restorative, but I don't do it as much as as I know my mom was really drawn to. And so I thought a lot about my mom during this conversation. And the conversation is with Dr. Amanda Kemp, who was a client in a mastermind that I co-led a few years ago, maybe four, four or five years ago now at this point. And at the time, I heard her talking about her work, her social justice work, and I didn't totally get it. Like, of course I got it. I knew what she was, you know, working on and her mission and everything, but I didn't really get it personal application to me. And then of course, coincidentally, as the, the, you know, the universe orchestrates things, I did a deep dive into my unconscious racial bias in 2021. I did a nine month program and I just learned a shit ton about myself. We read the book Cast, which was so eye-opening. And I learned about my other unconscious biases I had, like fat phobia, and you might have heard me talk about that. And it was just really a, a huge transformational journey. And so now, as a result of that work, I have a commitment to feature more than 50% of people on my show, people of color, men and women of color. And that has me making more effort to connect with people that I know and people that I meet and ask them to be on the show. And that's why Dr. Amanda Kemp is here. So it's a bit of a, you know, kind of full circle sort of thing. And her personal story is really amazing. It has to do with you know, connecting and talking to trees. It has to do with major burnout. And I think that you will relate on many levels to her journey. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. This is like her formal bio. And it's just, it, it's, it really sums up just her journey. And we're going to, the conversation we have is really juicy. Like we kind of like, it's, it doesn't really feel like an interview. It feels like a conversation and we both have ahas and we like have a meeting of the minds and we, you know, debate a little bit and all just in such beautiful collaboration. It, it, it really was very stimulating for me. And I told her, I said, I can't wait to listen to this again. And which I don't always do for podcasts, but I will be listening to this one again. So she graduated from Stanford after surviving the New York City 
foster care system, which just that in of itself is so powerful. And she's the founder of Racial Justice from the Heart, and she is the author of Stop Being Afraid, Five Steps to Transform Your Conversations About Racism. Now, when I was coaching her, she was struggling a bit to really find her footing, finding clients that really wanted to dive into racial justice work. And then George Floyd was murdered and her business completely took off. You know, it was just on fire. And she had a webinar called How White Women Can Talk to Women About Race, Five Things You Can Do, that was generating five figures a week. And it was earning her a mid-six-figure income after almost going bankrupt and needing to look for a job. And so she was dying, but she felt like she couldn't stop because the work was so important. And I know many of you, you know, have that inner dilemma of knowing you're working too much, you know, that you're really feeling like you're driving and driving and pushing and, but know that that needs to transform. And, you know, Amanda grew up with not enough and she knows that that was the constant movement came from that. And we talk about that. And then maybe you'll hear some of, you know, your own stories, some of your own kind of inner wounds that keep you on a treadmill that you know is not in your highest good. So this this conversation will absolutely be motivational for you. And you'll also hear about how she got a new name from her ancestors, Amanda Aminata Soul, and that in 2021, she received the message to stop everything and that the trees on her land wanted to adopt her. And That led her just to spend her business and go on a two-year sabbatical listening to plants and mushrooms and recontextualizing what we think of racial justice. And so now she supports others that are leaders in that movement and and how to, to support them in doing it in a different way, to support them in doing it in a way where they could slow down and connect with earth. And, and just, so to me, it is like the next level of that expression for her and for us in in anyone that is associated with that work, or I consider myself an ally in that work. And so I'm so excited for you to meet her, for you to hear this conversation, for you to hear yourself and see yourself in this conversation. And now she says, I'm in queen mode and I fucking love that. So if you want to be in queen mode too, without further ado, Dr. Amanda Kemp, aka Amanda Aminata Soul. Hello, Dr. Amanda Kemp. Welcome to the GFR show. <laughs> hey, Lisa Cherney. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be with you. There's so much, I mean, a lifetime since we played together when you were in the mastermind that I, you know, helped run years ago and, and your name has changed and your life has changed and my life has changed. So I'm excited to unpack all that and share it. You game? You ready? All right, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, okay, cool. I want to say, okay, everybody knows that when they listen to the show, there is what we call a GFR moment that we get to, that that get fucking real, like, you know, moment of truth that creates transformation. And in the spirit of this show, it always seems to inform the person's business expression. So we are definitely going to get to yours. And what I'd like to do is sort of like back up a few years before that to kind of like paint the picture of where your life was. So where do you feel like you want to start with like, okay, this is like the before that moment, you know, who I was and what informed where I was and all that. Maybe I'll start with 2019. Okay. Just before the pandemic. Okay. So in 2019, I was still very much struggling to make my life work into a viable business. Even though I had a message and I had ways for people to get involved in racial justice and to learn and to grow, and I had books, it still wasn't really working out for me financially. Because I remember at one point, and I think it was in 2019, where I said to the team, you know, if this doesn't shift, then 
I'm going to have to go get a job. So I was feeling a lot of pressure, disappointment, you know, kind of like that, right? Yeah. And and then we had the pandemic. And right around then, I started to run or evolve a webinar called How White Women Can Talk with Women of Color About Racism. Oh, oh I love that. Yeah. And it was like such a, was such a tender spot. And it even got more so because, of course, we were in the pandemic. In March, things started to close down. And then the killing of George Floyd and just all of this concern and angst about what do I do? How do I talk to other people? And then from women of color I was working with, they were like already feeling tired and also wondering what did they need to do to move it forward? You know, I think the killing of George Floyd created a lot of urgency. Yes. And amongst people who didn't feel urgent before. And for people who have been doing like equity training kind of stuff, I think it created a lot of sadness. And like, you know, what are we really doing? Are we really having an impact? So when I started to run that webinar, it was like really calling in white women. You know, I felt like there was a lot of, there was just so much social media about the place and the role of white women. People had, remember there was the Karen thing and there were just, it was just like the constant calling of the police. <laughs> I'm just saying there was just this lots of tension and, uh, and just a lot of emotional weariness. And this webinar gave me a way to say, let me tell you five things you could do. Five things you could do. And the first one, of course, starts with awareness. But you know what number two was? It was actually self-love. Mm. And it was so counterintuitive. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I think people came on, some people came on wanting me to tell them how bad they were. <laughs> Yeah. Point, yeah. Pointing like point little wag yeah. wagging, which to would totally be, you know, understandable. Totally so, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking about, well, what's really going to make the difference, though, yes. is if people take it on from the inside and not from, you know, temporary guilt or discomfort, which comes and goes, you know. Mm. So anyway, so you were saying what happened for the get fucking real moment. So I did that. And all of a sudden there was just like this gush of people coming in, of, of white women just flooding into what I was teaching and, and, you know, fewer than that gush, you know, staying to do more long-term work, but still enough wanting to do, go the next step to go another level deeper. And then there were people who wanted to, who liked what I was doing. So they were like, oh, I want to, I want to work with you. I want you to be my mentor. I want you to help me as a facilitator do it the way you're doing it, Amanda. And I tell you this because it was such a flood of energy, of emotions. It was so peak so much of the time that I wanted to get out, but I didn't know how. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So thank you for setting the scene. And a couple of things I want to say one is, as you were talking about this webinar, can you say the name of it again? How White Women Can Talk With Women of Color About Race. I just full body chills and like emotions, you know, mm. like how fucking important that yeah. that conversation is and I and how plainly you named it, <laughs> you know, and the timing of it and for, you know, those that are new to me, like just to share a little bit about, you know, my journey did start after the murder of, of George Floyd, but not right away because I didn't know what the fuck to do. And and I also was waiting for sort of like to be guided as to where I'm going to, you know, di dive in. And in 2021 is where I took a nine month program on uncovering my racial, you know, unconscious racial bias and, you know, with amazing people of color leaders, spiritual, you know, in this organization called Evolutionary Business Council. And it was, you know, monumentally transformative. And like before I did that work, you know, I'm Jewish. So before I did that work, white supremacy was Nazis. 
And that was my total like orientation toward mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that expression, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, afterwards, it's just the hierarchy of how like the world is, you know, positioning white people and how it shows up in, you know, all the different contexts and, and culture, cultures and organizations. And it's a, it's a whole different framework just for just that one, you know, that just one expression, white supremacy. And I, you know, really in terms of, if I look at like, okay, my social justice, racial justice, education, I feel like I'm maybe like 20% or 25% of the way there. Mm-hmm. That 25% flipped a switch so that I could talk. I could have the conversations. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's everything to me mm-hmm. because I really pride myself on being like authentic, transparent, you know, like valuing high quality connection and communication. And the fact that I couldn't, I, the fact that I have so much fear about saying the wrong thing, which I'm sure is what every white woman says, you know, fear about saying the, the wrong thing that I would say, you know, they didn't know what to say. I would say nothing. And I remember when I was mentoring you, I know that I didn't really understand what you did. You know, I knew like intellectually, I knew it. But I, but I look back and I just remember feeling like reverence for what you did, but also knowing that I had no clue as to what you did, if that makes sense, you know? So like mirroring my transformation with like, you know, your evolution and having, you know, like it is, I'm, I'm so happy to be having this conversation. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have reached out if I hadn't done my own work. I still would feel like I don't know how to talk to her. I don't know how yes. to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. Yes. So I'm grateful I did that work so that we could be here mm-hmm. and amazing to hear what happened for you. Because I remember the last connection we had you were in the struggle and it just was breaking my heart to see such important work feel like it was being stifled, you know, or, or, you know, not blossoming and you know getting out there in a bigger way. So, so hearing this gush, it's like, yes, yes. And it also reminds me of like when an actor who's been schlepping to auditions for 10 years and like, you know, going to lose hope, like, and then they get the big break and they never want to stop working because they had the 10 years of drought and they just, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you know? And so I told that that's how I'm relating to it of like how hard it must have been to have any thoughts that weren't total gratitude because, you know, things had been such the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think for me also, what was really difficult for so long, what is difficult when you do racial justice work is who are you talking to? You know, who are you talking to? Because there are white women like you, Lisa, who were afraid, who wanted to, but didn't know what to do. So this is like, like at the very beginning of their journey. And then there are those who really want to have stronger partnerships with women of color who are already doing their own work, but still, you know, don't have the partnerships and relationships they want to have. And and then you have women of color who are exhausted and angry. Yeah. You know, especially black women. So it was like really clarifying who was for what. And so calling that workshop, how white women and awful women of color about racism was a relief to not try to be talking to everybody at the same time. And it was interesting though, because women of color did sign up for it because they wanted to know what I was going to (laughs) say. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. They wanted to know, and they also wanted to, (laughs) and they wanted to recommend it to their friends or they're not friends. You know, they really wanted some support out there because it's a, you know, how many of these individual conversations you think somebody can have? Yeah. You know, it's just, because it takes, it's heart work. Yes. So it takes a certain amount of engagement and detachment. Yes. Engagement yes. and detachment. It's yes. like you're, you know, it's like letting somebody flow and be where they are. And for white people to, I didn't know what white, ex, I didn't know what black exhaustion was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what angry black woman, what 
what that, how that got created. I didn't know that there was a frustration on the part of people of color to be like, well, I'm not going to be your person. Like I can't, you know, represent the whole, you know, race and like answer your questions. And, you know, I didn't know any of that. So even having that context, still, still asking the questions, but at least having the context of like, you may not be in a place right now to answer this, you know, I'm open for dialogue when you are or whatever, whatever it is. So, yeah. And I also think the thing of you signing yourself up for a nine month course or learning experience or coaching experience, whatever it is, that's you taking responsibility for yourself, not like waiting for your friends to give you something, you know, yes. and, and that is the other dynamic that that had to be disrupted. And the, you know, the webinar gave me a chance to, it literally gave me a chance to tell people, <laughs> here's what I recommend, you know? And ultimately there's something very, you know, what was hard though? It was good. Like that so many people wanted, the gush was there. I think what was hard was feeling responsible for it all or feeling like I didn't have enough internal support. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I, I had a friend who was also my collaborator who's white and Ultimately, she began to take over that webinar. So we had the recording of me. I stopped doing it live. So we, she's recording, she's white, and she hosted it. She was also helping to deliver it. So she was, you know, so there was integrity there. And it was her work to do. It was mm. her work to do more than mine. Once I had done it that much, it was time for it to not be my work, which was great. I really appreciate that. We tried to pull me out of things so that I wasn't so tapped out or just so drawn from in every part of what began to evolve as this business. But it was difficult. It was difficult to find people who were willing and able to step up inside of a business as well as able to step up and teach something. You know what I mean? It's, yes. it's, it's different. Yes. It's, and, it's different in general. And then, of course, it's different when the work is so relevant and timely and yes. needed and sensitive, right? Yes. There's all these dynamics at play. Right. That is exactly yeah. right. And so I, just, <laughs> it was so more can be said. What questions do you have for me? Okay. All right. All right. So, so before we flip over the hill to the, the, the GFR moment, the thing that I want to also kind of parallel here is kind of zooming out from what type of work you were doing just to the fact of when we have a business that isn't working and then it starts working and then how hard it is to change it or step away at any time. And I don't know if you remember the part of my story where I built my business to seven figures at one point and, and then realized that I was not having fun. Like it was just, there was just so many people and so much going on and it didn't matter how much I delegated. It still was like in my orbit and was like in my energy field and it was successful. And I said, I need to shut it down. And I told my clients, this is, you know, I love you and good night, you know, <laughs> as Miss Maisel would say, you know, and so I, I have the experience of what, what that's like to stop something that's successful and that people like. And so I want to ask you a question that bring you to the childhood part of your story for a moment, because I think that there are dots to connect in terms of also the other things that come into play that have us keep doing something when our soul, our intuition, our heart is saying to stop. Our body might be saying to stop with or through health expressions, you know, and, and how much our background, you know, and our childhood or whatever, you know, that context sort of plays into how long we keep going if we ever stop. Right. And so you talk about how you survived the New York city foster care system you know, winding up in Stanford and, and, and accomplishing a ton. Can you share what aspects from your childhood or young adult experience sort of also were contributing to you sustaining where that state for a while? Yeah. 
That's a good question. Hmm. So one of the things I grew up with was a sense of not enough of, you know, not being enough, not having enough. I went into foster care hungry, mm. literally having not having not been fed. So I think the fear of not having enough again is a huge driver. It's something that I am today praying and doing some energetic work to release, you know? Yes. Um, it's like that thing, you know, that, that they say if an elephant, if you tie up an elephant when it's little and it can't break the rope, you don't have to keep tying it up when it's big. It just thinks that the rope, the same little, the same rope that was strong when it was little, they think that rope can hold it. Hmm. They don't know. And I feel like that, that early conditioning, you know, I had some, I was talking with my daughter about this. My daughter is an amazing intuitive. <laughs> How old is your daughter? She's 21. 21. Amazing. <laughs> I know. She'll be 22 in a minute. Anyway, she was doing a tower reading, giving me a tower reading. I don't know how we got on money, but we started to talk about money. Oh, because I was thinking about my business. And then I was like, hold up. And I went and got a lot of altar stuff, put it on the table. I was like, okay, <laughs> now we continue this conversation because it was starting <laughs> to go somewhere. And anyway, in that conversation, we were trying to get to the root of why am I graspy with money? You know, why does it feel so precious in my hands? Like, but mm. precious, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Like, precious, my precious. <laughs> more like that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Completely attached. I get it. I'm, I'm very similar. <laughs> these dollar bills. So we were getting to that. And my beautiful daughter helped me to come to a memory of when I was standing in line at a Popeye's in New York City. I was maybe 14. I had worked all day. You know, when you minimum wage was $3.35 when I was coming up. Wow. So I had to work all day to get $20. I had the $20 bill in my hand, standing in line at the fast food place. And I looked around, or I got distracted. Next thing I know, the money was gone. It was oh literally God. somebody had taken it. And I looked around the restaurant. Nobody looked at me. It's New York. Nobody looked at me. Nobody said anything. I was ashamed. I had no more money. How was I going to get home? It was in my hand and literally it was gone. And I think that fear of not having again, you know, of it just being stripped from me, you know, has been a real motivator. And so... So that's one thing driving me to stay in things or to be constantly working. You know, it's like a hustle, a hustle, hustle line. Yeah. Because yeah. I also came up out of an activist path. And you know, activists, <laughs> activists are always working. You know, we're always hustling. Action, we always have something we're organizing. Activist. Yes, we're always organizing something. So I always had a flyer, come to this event, come to this <laughs> meeting. You know, activists, that's what they do is that they're always got something. And and because I came up out of hunger and then I ended up going to Stanford and having a lot of really privileged experiences, I've never been hungry since. You know, since I was hungry, I've never been hungry since, but I haven't forgotten it. And um, I think I also felt guilty. Like, how can I stop when there's so many people? who are still living where I came out of. Yes. Or, you know, generations, you know, family members, you know. So, so yeah, I think those things, so like on a socio-political level, the personal level of having had money stolen from me. And then the third thing I'll say is that family dynamic. When I was growing up, I was in a lot of ways, the good kid. My sister was beautiful. You know, you have these labels in your family. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's, she's pretty. They do that on they do that on reality television now, right? Like the athlete, the jock, the socialite, the, right. the you know, like the, just right. to like be super reductive. You know, super reductive. Their, their role in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So she was the, the pretty one. The so she was the pretty one. Yeah. I was the smart one. <clears throat> That's how they went. Mm. One or the other, right? And the problem was that the way that things happen in our family, my sister got impacted 
in a way that I didn't. She's older. She she saw more stuff. She knew more stuff. When my family broke down, we went to foster care. I had I was like I was really quite clueless, but she was clued in. So, anyways, she had a lot to deal with. But at that time, I don't know if they even gave kids therapy where we were, unless you were like burning down apartment buildings. You know what I'm talking right. about? They yeah. just, you just have to like keep moving forward, you know? So anyway, so I felt a lot of responsibility for my sister. I started that a whole pattern of not being able to say no and always feeling like I had more. So then I needed to keep giving. Mm. Mm. And did the feeling like you had more, so you needed to keep giving, was that when you shifted to a place where you felt like you were having privileged experiences and, you know, full belly and. Yeah. At a certain point, things started to shift. She was the older sister. She was a pretty sister. She was popular. I mean, you know, she was older, but you were the one taking care of her. But you were the smart one. Yeah. There was that whole flipping and. How old were you when you went into foster care? Six. Six. And she was eight wow yeah very young yeah too young to be taking care of anybody but yourself or trying to figure it out and not having language and you know wow some crazy stuff yeah so yeah i i i think so coming through all of that feeling like i i can't stop and you know the other thing is you're convincing me you're convincing me you shouldn't stop exactly (laughs) like keep going i mean there's that phrase go on girl yeah go go on girl yeah i mean i'm like no 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 now i'm all about you know slow is good i know um, i can't wait to get to that part (laughs) so i'll one thing i'll just say though so i'm 56 and it wasn't until maybe it was in may and this is july so that's three months now that i started to see like Oh, the constant movement was coming from fear. Hmm. So yes, there is this guilt. Yes, needing to do more. There's so much to be done. And then the most recent layer for me to see was movement and fast meant safe to me. And being still feels like, you know, it's like, being still enough to feel all those feelings of being a little kid who's alone. Mm, that's so powerful for, I can't imagine not everybody listening. I don't care like what socioeconomic background you have had or are in or the color of your skin or entrepreneur, you know, work, whatever. I, I feel like everybody can relate to at some level that the, the idea that constant movement comes from fear and that movement and fast means safe, whether that means I'm being productive and, you know, like the more things I do on my to-do list, you know, then I'm a good girl because I'm productive or, you know, or just the, the, I need to work and, and, and earn and hustle and, you know, all of that. And I just really appreciate that clarity. So thank you for (laughs) sharing with us your most current learning and, and it's definitely one of those things I imagine. Let me know if you agree, but the constant movement came from fear. Is there a part of you that when you got to that awareness that there was a part of you that were like, duh, <laughs> like, like, is there a part of you that's like, oh, well, you know, what like, was I'm- weird? <laughs> what was weird was even though I knew it, I was still afraid. Yes. Right. So that's the nuance, right? It's not that we don't know it. It's that we maybe get reintroduced to the idea at a time where we might be willing to go a different way, try yes. a different strategy. Yes. Yes. I I love being in my 50s. This is the best <laughs> decade too. of my I life. I do too. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I'm in the queen mode, you know? Did you say um, queen? I did. Yes. And I love like the name of your current signature offering is Sister Queens of the Tree. I freaking love that. I don't even know what the offering is, but yeah, I love that too. You don't a gathering at apprenticeship program for women leaders. Okay. Well, (laughs) 
whatever whatever form it takes you know now it's, or in the future I I the queen mode I love yes. queen, mode. queen mode I'm in queen I, I'm I'm gonna can I borrow that just yes please do I love this queen archetype you know I really I feel like wow I'm at the height of my spiritual powers I have never been this emotionally stable and I'm still going through it. Wow. You know, yeah. and I don't I think am- we ever not go through it. It's our really, and this one of my, this week kind of awarenesses is at a new level. It's like, you know, oh, I picked this card. You know me and my cards. It's a Michael Beckwith card. And it says, see if you can read it. It mm. says, right. It says, be fearless about fear. And so it's not that we're ever not going through it. It's just our relationship to whatever it is we're going through and how that changes. Right. Yes. You know, I mean, I swear that I wished for peace for like every birthday wish, like all through my forties, all I wanted was inner peace, inner peace, inner peace, inner peace. I felt like if I could just have inner peace, then everything would be okay. And now I'm just like, what do I wish for now? My wish now, actually this year is the word liberation. Just liberation, liberation from all of the things that I don't want in my life. Like, it's not about that. It's just about, I want to be liberated and how they impact me or don't. (laughs) You know, that has been my word too. So like uh, (laughs) racial justice has been, it's still one of my words, you know, but what I'm for, what I'm really for is liberation. Yes. You know, beyond that, I'm really for liberation. And and it's not even a goal it's like a is a way of being yes. you know what i mean i want to yeah. be liberated and yes yes my, my intention the way that i'm wording my intention is i am liberation mm. you can you can ha- borrow it and use I it i am liberation i am liberation mm. if that resonates with you i like yeah i like liberate liberated yeah, I had I am liberated and that felt finite. Like it almost felt like not as liberated as liberation. liberation. Yeah. yeah, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So I love I love all of this. It feels so yummy. And and so what happened after the gush? So what happened after the gush? <laughs> after the great flood of 2021. <laughs> yeah, I started to get all these little signs. Like I had that emergency root canal in December, 2020. I was leading a two day training. I had these assistants on with me, but nobody was, but I was still essential. Right. You know, but I had to go take care of myself for a root canal. And so I had to, because I didn't take care of it in a timely way. And and I came back from this, the root canal situation and I could see that the quality of what people had learned wasn't there the depth wasn't there and so what i took from that was i've got to work harder so that the team can be better and but i remember that was december and then february i was walking with my son and it was like one of those moments what do you really want mommy i was like i really want to stop everything and he and he said to me do it mommy do it and i was like no wow. i can't just can't that was february 2021 and so we keep going until april 2021 when i was in a coaching session with someone who's like let's just catch our breath and it was a session about scaling and oh because that's what i'm trying to do right i'm overwhelmed but now i'm trying to scale Because scaling, don't you know, it solves everything. (laughs) And scaling, right, scaling is freaking hard. Oh my God, to scale a team. So we do this thing and and all of a sudden I start weeping in this coaching call. She's like having my true self. She's like Amanda's true self. Uh, Amanda wants to scale. What advice would you have for her about this? This is her style of business coaching. And my true self said, Amanda needs to stop everything. Amanda, three times I said, Amanda needs to stop. And I'm listening to myself say it. It's a very, it's like I'm Out present. Of body. <laughs> right. I'm there, but I'm also listening to my non-conscious mind really speaking. Yeah. And it was like, Amanda needs. I like this coach. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it was me more than the coach. Yeah. But okay. That's she did, but she did create the container. Mm-hmm. 
because I was just done. So anyway, so the man needs to stop and man needs to stop and man needs to stop and crying, crying, crying. And I think I said that completely surprised me was the trees want to adopt her. And I'm laughing, even though I read it and I know that you had this awareness, but I'm laughing because I'm imagining your reaction in the moment. <laughs> the trees, the trees want to adopt, adopt her. Adopt. Like what? Where is that? You know, and I'm like, wow, the trees want to adopt me. What the hell is this? What does this have to do with scaling? So my yeah. conscious mind is right. like, <laughs> What does that have to do with scaling? That's yes. Enough. And and in fact, that became everything. It was all everything I got in these kind of communications with myself had me say, what does this have to do with scaling or what does it have to do with my business succeeding? So get fucking real was when I honestly acknowledged that that's what I really wanted. And I started to say things to people who I had trained, who I had faith in. I'm not going to do this training with you meaning you're going you guys are going to lead it and there are all kinds of little pullings you know little manipulations and guilt and whatnot but i breathed through it and it was so weird because i had started to write to the trees and and they told me that what they wanted me to do was to deadhead this plant while my team was doing a training call like you know an eight hours you know two day very important training. <laughs> they were like, you should deadhead the plant, this little purple flowery plant. And I felt so guilty. I was like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm so indulgent. And like, I don't, I'm not really committed because here I am playing with a plant rather than being on these training halls. So it took me a year before I got to say like, oh, Working with plants shifted my energy. Yes. <laughs> my thing was so linear. What leads to justice is you doing these training things. You know, what leads to justice is you showing up at these rallies or organizing. You know what I'm saying? It was a very linear. When I say linear, I mean A to B to C. Yes, yes. Not at yes. all. Like, not really appreciating <laughs> circularity in direction yeah. i mean yeah. things that i might even said theoretically i agree with you right but I, right the organicness of it all yeah yeah i really want to get the name of this book right and i think it's i think it's rest is my rebellion mm. and, and i will make sure that i get it right and i put it in the show notes I and mean, it's a woman of color who wrote it. And I, yeah. I remember listening to a podcast. I know it's not exactly right. I remember listening to a podcast, Rest is My Rebellion. I was like, what? Like, what is this about? Like, I need to listen to it. And it, it's 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 a like a similar non-linear approach to, you know, social justice. And like, it's- And that, liberation. That liberation. It's like rest. whole body like, liberation. Rest could be the, you know, the way through, you know, rest could yeah. be the activism, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And it sounds so suspicious because we think of the opposite of being engaged is apathy. So if you're not out there doing the do, whatever the doing is that people are asking for you, if you decline, then people, activists, organizers will sometimes think of you as apathetic. Oh, we got to break this apathy. Oh, so-and-so, they're so apathetic. And that's a style or generation of organizing. I don't want to say that that is what's currently being done right now, because I think that people are approaching it more holistically. And we are, we know that part of the liberation is from the mindset, the paradigm of productivity. You know what I mean? It's like the, the tyranny of productivity and, you know, rest is idleness and idleness is devilish and or it means you don't care, or it means you're not carrying your weight. So what they were having me do, all this sort of plants kind of related stuff, walking. I remember in that first session, because I listened to it, it's been maybe six months or a year since I listened to it, but I remember I wrote it on my whiteboard. It said something like, Amanda's work is not analytical frameworks. Her work is deep, earthy vibrations. Mm. And I remember saying to people, what the hell is that? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, deep earthy vibrations, like 
what do you do with that? Because yeah. yes. I'm so and used to doing. Yeah, you're doing. And, and what I'm hearing is just for you, the context was all about the success of the business and forwarding the you know, yes. racial justice agenda. Yes. And, yes. and it's like all spokes needed to lead back to that as the epicenter, you know, and I think that's for you. And then I think like our version, I love the tyranny of productivity. I fucking love that. Cause it's like, like, I think we all can relate to that on some level of this, like, where does the fucking programming come from that we have to be in motion all the time and that we need to be productive? And <laughs> in my house, we kind of laugh because my husband and I are opposites in many, 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 many ways. And with Bella, with my daughter, like I'm the one to say, like, just you don't need to finish the assignment tonight. Just like go to sleep or, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect or you could just skip that. You don't have to go to all the things. You know, like I was the one to like always be the non-productivity, you know, person. And my husband is actually a productivity expert. Like he literally is like amazing, a genius at organizing and, you know, productivity systems and all that stuff. So, so, but it's, it, it, it's funny when we, you know, when we really have opposites, it's like more vivid how different those messages are and how much focus it took to insert into Bella's awareness, a different conversation about grades and colleges and all of it. Right. And so I freaking love this. So you wound up taking a two year sabbatical. Is that right? Yes. And I'm squinching my face as I say it because reluctantly and every, <laughs> every few months, like the I'd accidental be like, sabbatical, <laughs> sort of like every so often I would be like, what am I going to do about my business? And I try to like, launch a program literally yeah <laughs> and but were things happening like were your team was your team doing things or no just we, we to had to we had to come to a stop because i maybe let me see if i can articulate this i created this business i invested you know all of my treasure into it it nearly didn't work out and then there were this there was this gush and I didn't know people I had around me were all people who were great facilitators and teachers. They were not doing anything around operations, just starting to even begin to sell, you know? So I felt like I couldn't leave the business to any of those people because how would it run? whose money would it use while they were going through the learning stages? Right. And, and then not every, you know, most people didn't want to be in that part of the business. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be, that wasn't meant to, it wasn't meant to go on. And it you wasn't. Try, you try to go be, but I tree. kept wanting to, but I kept wanting to. Well, and you kept thinking you should. Yes. I kept thinking I should, because I wanted to fulfill on giving the people who I collected around me an opportunity to share their gifts, to live out their passion, to live out their justice. And so my, my, you know, racial justice from the heart was the name of my business. So think of who it attracted racial justice from the heart. It attracted heart people. And I really wanted to keep this thing available to them. And but it didn't have the infrastructure, the yeah. internal operations thing. And I couldn't find someone to do that. Well, so, you, at that point you were being called away. And so I was being called away and I was trying to, to find, yeah, that is it. I was doing things that I hated and I was all of a sudden hating meetings and hating people asking nitty, nitty, nitty gritty questions. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you're in the wrong place when you're yeah, like yeah. hating people you love. Yeah. Were, you know, you don't have time for this. I was trying to oh, get yeah. out of, you know. I'm totally relating to you. I took a sabbatical last September following the passing of my mom. And I remember the pre-sabbatical mindset was like, everybody was annoying me. Everyone yes. and everything was annoying me. Yeah. And this thing that I supposedly loved and these people I supposedly loved my clients were like all, you know, and I'm like, thank goodness I saw it wasn't that I need to change a career or anything. It was like, I need needed a freaking break, you know? So there is, it's something we can like, you know, write a little checklist on how, you know, you need a sabbatical. <laughs> People are annoying. 
Yes, that would be one of them. That's what I tell people now. Like I have something called five signs. It's time to slow down your racial justice. And, oh yeah. I love you were yeah. going to put your giveaway, your webinar in the, in the link in the show notes, but yeah, five steps to slow down your racial justice and regenerate. Like to me, that is such a beautiful expression of your work, like artfully, organically, powerfully coming full circle to a place to support old Dr. Amanda into new, into the new Amanda Aminata, which I want you to, to speak about, right? Amanda Aminata is, is supporting other people that were like Dr. Amanda who felt like <laughs> couldn't stop that, you know, productivity is the tyranny and like, and what an, and you know, like the old, you know, the good old wormhole training that I used to do, which I now call GFR wormhole is you having to go through that before you were even to create the qualifications needed to be able to support all the amazing souls that are doing the work. And so they don't burn out. It's like right. so masterfully well, created. Divine. And what, what's really gotten clear to me with, with plants, with trees, plants, you know, I have a, I'm working with dandelion right now. What's coming clear to me is how deeply colonized I was and can how. You, can you talk about what you mean by colonized just for those yeah, who are not used to that? I would love to. So colonized, another way you could say it is conditioned. Yes. It's like when you like, let's say I'm for racial justice, but underneath or even inside how I do my racial justice is coming from a set of assumptions, a paradigm that keeps me trapped. So the tyranny of productivity, which says that I'm not valuable unless I'm being quote productive, yeah. is part of a deep, deep paradigm, which is in contrast to, maybe you call it God, you can call it to nature, which is that I'm already valuable. Yeah. I, there's nothing more. I could do, I could do squat diddly and I would still be loved a thousand hundred percent. You know what I mean? You can't, you, it's like, so that being on the wheel of having to prove or be, make myself lovable, make myself valuable inside of doing the work for racial justice, it's like taking an old paradigm, an oppressive paradigm and bringing it into your work for liberation and then using that paradigm against other people. You know oh, what I mean? Yes. They're not doing so, enough. What's wrong with them? Yes. Yes. And it's so. Hmm. I just feel it just, I hear love. It's just so in the context of love and bringing love and nature and God. And I love kind of, I love your perspective of the interchangeability of God and nature. It's bringing that into something that is inherently combative mm -hmm. in a way in, or, or unraveling a combative, you know, context. Mm -hmm. And it it's so important. It's so important. It is. I the mean, trees are very smart. They're so smart. And <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm gonna try to. I really want to try to explain this. And I'm not sure how much people on this call will get at this. But so you took some coursework. You did some work for nine months, and you understand white supremacy culture is. So you know, it's not just Nazis. It can be very subtle, and there are characteristics that you know, perfectionism, either or thinking, for example, could be characteristics of white supremacy culture. I felt like I had to be so anti-racist, for lack of a better word, or so, so resistant to white supremacy culture that when I was thinking about ancestors and, you know, at some point I was just doing some ancestor appreciation. And for me, what was alive was trees trees like organically feeling like trees are my ancestors mm. but my mind my conscious mind said what's wrong with you don't you want to claim your black ancestors mm. so do you see how it was like reducing 
me, all of me, <laughs> to this one, not just part of my identity, but to one way of looking at the world, one framework, one lens. And that kind of thinking, that kind of, there's a certain kind of purity, absolutism I'm speaking to, that is also deep conditioning. Yes. It's either this or it's that. You're good or you're bad. And if we're really, for me, liberation really is about being able to hold contradiction and love myself and other people in the midst of contradiction. It's like even thinking about things in the frame of a human lifetime. Humans live, what, 80, 90, 100 years? That's one way to look at the world. But if we say, ah, but if I pivot that to the center of like how long trees live, well, then I've got a whole bigger frame. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, yes. This is many lifetimes, many yes. people come and, then and there's go. Multiple lifetimes. I mean, there's lots of ways to look yeah. at things rather than yes. I got 80 years here. Yeah. What's going to happen? Right, right. And I'm thinking about, you know, the huge, you know, we're a physical per, you know, whatever the expression is, having a, a spiritual experience. We're a physical, what is I from you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. A human um, being having a spiritual thank you, experience. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We're thank you. We're a human being having a spiritual experience. Like, like that's what I'm hearing is like the human versus the spiritual. Your ancestors that are trees feels like the spiritual is is acknowledging the spiritual the soul level being that you are and that the part of you that was pointing to your black ancestors is the human like is the reductive you know reducing it to like the the only the human experience versus the yes spiritual. is that my yes. understanding that right yes yes and it's instead of being multi-dimensional it's unidimensional when you won't don't want to claim not even if you don't want to but you can't somehow even consider to claim your heritages the multiple dimensions in which you live the multiple dimensions in which you you know are flowing are being fed i mean this is why i'm interested in liberation yes because yes. to me liberation is like all of that taking myself out of the story of being simply a woman in her 50s, African-American racial justice activist, to being this queen of multiple dimensions with tree ancestry, mycelium communicating to me. And, you know, I've got my ancestors, Harriet Tubman's in the background, and who knows what's going on with the cosmos because, you know, wow, I haven't gotten, quite gotten that far. You know what I'm saying? It's yes, like, I love it. It's so expansive. Right. Yes. It's it, right. And then I cannot be reduced to suffering mm. and or to this or that. You know, it's just it's just multiple, multiple. And so this is why I had to pull back. Yeah. So I could kind of think these kinds of thoughts. Yeah. You know how they like talk about when you're doing planning, you're like, oh, there's a 30,000 foot level and the 40,000. You went to like the millionth foot level. <laughs> like you needed to so zoom out. Yes. To re-energize and reconnect yes. and create that the context you need so that you yes. could zoom back in. But but always tethered to right. that, the spiritual and the 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 and the earth the earth. Yes. The nature. Right. So tell us about your name change. Yes. So I was in a spiritual community. I'm still part of it, but we had a, we've had like a, what do you call that? A hiatus for the last year and a half, two years. Anyway, I was at the, one of the last retreats we had, it may have been the final one. And I was journaling and I have a very healthy respect for Harriet Tubman mm. and a healthy respect for Harriet Tubman. In other words, another I, way of I saying that. The, the movie is a recent movie called yes. Harriet. I yeah. have that in my queue. I really want yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm one of those people who, who 
I just don't see myself as someone who would be like, you want to run away? You don't want to run away? Okay, either you go for it or I'm going to kill you. Like that kind of thing, Harry Tubman <laughs> thing, you know? Liberation or basically we have to kill you because we can't let you go back and let other people know where mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm like- I can't wait to get to know her more. <laughs> Ooh, I'm not that person. I think I would be like, ugh. Anyway, I'm just saying, <laughs> I've always had a healthy respect for Harry Tubman. Like, okay. don't play with Harry Tubman. Yeah, we don't, yeah, she don't play. She don't play exactly. So, but anyway, Harry Tubman showed up in my in a couple of spaces in that retreat, and specifically in my journaling. And you know, and she was just telling me stuff, like you know, telling me stuff, hand on her hip, telling me stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I was just writing it down, and then she said, hey, "Amanda Kemp, that ain't your name." Mm. Like, she's like, I just remember that ain't your name. That ain't your name. It's like, well, what is my name? Your name is Aminata Soul. Aminata Soul. Aminata Desert Rose, Plant Walker Firewoman. Aminata Desert Rose, Plant Walker Firewoman. I was like, that is too long. No. <laughs> too long, too crazy. You know, what about my, my people, my heritage, the Kemp family, you know, all these things. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> it was like, we all know that you have that, but this is your, this is your true name. So I have been since December, 2021, working with that, working with that, with that name and what it means. And I mean, not Latin, no, no, it's Arabic base and it means trustworthy. For a minute, I was mispronouncing. I was calling myself Amenita and that's a mushroom a powerful mushroom teacher. And anyway, so I've been really interacting with this name yes. and trying to find what to keep of Dr. Amanda Kemp, which is this whole brand, the company and my PhD and that whole identity and this multidimensionality kind of liberated queenly chick, you know? And so I landed on Amanda, I mean, not to soul. I'm Amanda, I'm Inata Soul. And I appreciate it. I love it when people call me Aminata. But they don't have to. And Amanda is still here. Yes. And really for us to acknowledge how multifaceted we are how many different sides of us there are, you know, how much we're not all of one thing. It's that black and white thinking, you know? So what a beautiful journey for you. So for this last segment, give us a glimpse into where you are now with your business expression as a result of your reluctant sabbatical and your relationship with the trees? Mm. So I've started this podcast, the Mother Tree Network, <laughs> and I love it. It gives me a way to bring together people who are in the flow of earth wisdom, plant medicine, racial justice, and women's leadership. Wow. That's, that's the spaces that I want to talk in, that I want to learn from people in, and that I want to broadcast out, you know, to the world. And the Sister Queens and the tree thing is like just this vision I had of, of coming out of a, a forest into a clearing on a moon, a full moon, very bright night. There's all these women coming out, different colors and ages holding hands. And we had wings on our backs. <laughs> so there's something emerging like that. And I don't know what that is, but that's the, that's the heart. That's the heart vision. And I, I love how, when you're describing this vision, you talk about that it's for women leaders who are ready to slow down, to decolonize their lives, which we colonize to find as conditioning. So to recondition their lives heal their implicit racism and reconnect with nature's intelligence. What a 
a beautiful mashup <laughs> of ideas that only you, my dear Aminata soul, would have the courage to hold the container for. Hmm. Thank you. Because it is a weird container. And I've kind of been getting feeling like a little like some people are thinking, you know, you can't make a business out of that. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. And that's that's a colonized thought. You can't make a business out of that. Right. It's like you had the courage to listen to the trees and create relationship with plants and, you know, at mycelial network and like all, you know, you had the courage to do that and your path you, you and it's not to the exclusion of your racial justice work you know it is for you to integrate both in your being like how do i hold how am i the container for both you know as well as holding space for others who are evolving racial justice work and doing a whole new it's not now about triage you know it is about supporting the all the communities that are up to those social justice missions but in a way where they can sustain it you know for a long time and hold that container and you're the one to help them do it in a way that's regenerative yes and to practice liberation as we go yes we're not waiting to get there we're not waiting yeah i love it liberation as we go <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. This was a delight. It just was an absolute delight. And we'll put links to all your stuff. And I know that you're going to attract the, the divine right people that are just going to be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I can't. Oh my God, I'm going to need a soul. I need you. I, I know it. <laughs> all right, my dear. Bye for now. It was a delight to share you with my audience. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. Oh my gosh, wasn't that just such a fun adventure? Talking to trees, connecting with trees. Oh, I'm so excited about transforming my relationship with nature. So she has a really great gift for you all. It's called the five steps to slow down your racial justice and regenerate. And we have a link for you in the show notes. And you know what? Even if your mission, your purpose, your inner drive isn't particularly a racial justice motivation, but some other you know purpose you feel called to and you feel like you can't slow down, I imagine that this download will really help you as well. And Amanda's favorite commandment, of course, was uh, stopping. Number eight, know that sometimes stopping is the most lucrative action to take. If you do not have your Roadmap for Getting Real, your 12 GFR commandments. You definitely want to download those. Go to gfr.life forward slash 12C, also link in the show notes. And I am so excited to connect with you. Happy to hear from you about how this episode landed for you. Connect with me, you know, in, on Facebook or, or Instagram. We'll have, would love to connect with you. And please connect with Amanda Aminata Soul if this resonates with you and this work resonates with you. All right. And also, if you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts and unsubscribe or follow the show so that you can hear some other many other inspirational stories that will keep you motivated on your journey and living your purpose. Over and out for now.